Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tai Chi Notebook Podcast. My name is Graham Barlow and I run the Tai Chi Notebook blog. I've been obsessed with Tai Chi ever since watching the Kung Fu TV series featuring David Carradine way back in the 1970s. In this podcast, I catch up with the various people I've met from the world of Tai Chi and martial arts over the last 30 years. My guest today is Michael Babin, a Tai Chi practitioner from Ottawa, Canada, who's been teaching Tai Chi since the 1980s. He's primarily a Yang style practitioner, but he also does a bit of Sun style on the side. He's now officially retired, but still keeps his hand in training three or four times a week with his old students. Michael has recently started a YouTube channel where you can see him teaching and performing Tai Chi. You'll find a link in the show notes. In our discussion, we talk a lot about what the Tai Chi scene was like in Canada in the 1990s and how things have changed today. We also talk about all the people Michael has trained with and been taught by over the years. So, without further ado, here he is. Michael, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. It's lovely to talk to you. We've been conversing over email for a few years now. Yeah. So it's finally great to sort of meet you, if not in person, then as close as you can get to in person. Um, you're in Ottawa, aren't you? Yes, yeah, capital of Canada. Good. Uh, how How's the weather over there? Well, it's actually sunny today for a change. We had snow on the weekend, but uh, it melted very quickly. Um, hopefully we are actually into spring. Yeah, it's 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 pretty similar here, except we don't have snow, but we're, we're just edging into spring. It's pretty cold still, but not, not cold by your standards, but cold by my standards. Yeah, yeah. Well, the old, I don't know if it's still true, the old joke used to be that... Uh, in Canada, big parts of Canada, we had six months of winter and then six months of tough sledding. <laughs> yeah, we don't get much sledding over here. <laughs> Maybe one day a year and it's, you know, just a, a mild covering of the ground. Um, so I believe that congratulations are in order. It's you've just had a birthday. Yeah, yesterday I turned 70. Well, congratulations on that. That's amazing. <laughs> Well, when you consider the only alternative to turning 70 is not turning <laughs> 70. It's not bad, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you've been a, a Tai Chi instructor, practitioner, enthusiast um, for, for many years now. Um, when did you start off? I started martial arts in 1970, and then I started my first Tai Chi lesson was in 1975. And I've been at it uh, ever since, except for a few months here and there, recovering from various surgeries. Mm -hmm. And COVID, of course, two years of no training with people, uh, thanks to our oh, yeah. COVID. But, yeah, that was a bright pain, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, for anyone who wants to do any kind of contact martial art, and you know, if you're used to doing it most of your life, as you know, it's very hard to give up the pleasures of training. Solo forms in Tai Chi can fill a bit of a hole, exercise-wise, but it doesn't compare to doing whatever interactive stuff you're used to doing. I'm used to doing it, so it was tough. Tough two years. Yeah, um, you were still. Were you still running your school while COVID was on? No, no. I I closed my the last commercial type operation I had. I closed in 2010, but. I've been training training with colleagues and former friends, former students ever since I closed the school in 
it was a shock, you know, when you're used to training three or four times a week. Hmm. It's hard to give it up. Yeah. As you know, from your, your jujitsu, I'm assuming you didn't do a lot of rolling and well, grappling. I took about nine months off in total, I think. Britain kind of got back to it after that. Um, so um, it was it was more like a long break, you know, which wasn't in terms of jujitsu. It it actually helps let your body recover because you're you're kind of constantly injured. <laughs> yep, I believe that. <laughs> so it was nice. To, it was nice just to let everything um, settle back to normal again. But it was nice to get back into it, though. It really was. And now I'm pretty much back to three, four times a week. So no, good. Enjoy it good. while you're young enough to be able to do it. Yeah, well, I'm already too old to do it. But I'm still going. <laughs> <laughs> Are you the oldest in your class or your your group? No, I'm not. No, we've got we've got. I, I'm I'm fifty. And we've got a fifty-four and a fifty-three, and a fifty-two. You know, mm. um, still going as well. I don't think we've got anybody in the 60s at all. So uh, we'll, we'll see which of us manages to last that long. <laughs> yeah. Well, even I was, I did hard styles for uh, a number of years. For maybe the first 10 years I trained, I did hard styles as well as Tai Chi. And I remember being 32 and in a, a variation of Wing Chun, a club where they were teaching Wing Chun. Mm-hmm. And I was by far the oldest in the group of 10 that I started with at that club. You know, everybody else was teenagers or in their early 20s. So what was it that uh, made you change to Tai Chi from all those other martial arts? Well, if I'm honest, it was partly the hard styles were a lot of hard work. And... Uh, you know, you get injured. If you do a martial art that's got any pretense of realism, you're going to get injured either through your own stupidity or just because somebody doesn't have uh, as much control as you'd like them to have when you're doing the kind of sparring that was, you know, common back in the 70s and the 80s. And I started doing some reading and, of course, Bruce Lee movies like everybody else yeah. uh, of a certain age in the martial arts. You know, I thought, oh, this Chinese stuff looks like it might be easier. It's supposed to be effortless. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, I got hooked. It uh, certainly wasn't effortless, but uh, I got hooked. I did like at first the idea that, uh, you know, sort of the esoteric aspect of uh, the internal arts, um, that did attract me at first. Eventually you grow up and realize that it's... Uh, mostly hard work and whatever you're willing to put into the art and whether or not you can find good teachers or good training partners. And I did, uh, you know, shop around and try a variety of different approaches to Tai Chi before I found my first good local teacher. Uh, Alan Wise had been a senior student of a Chinese fellow who was living in Montreal, a nearby city. And he, Alan, moved to Ottawa for his work and started teaching just, you know, to keep his hand in and stuff. So I joined his class and I was with him for a decade. And it was the first time I'd been e exposed to uh, a very martial approach to Yang style Tai Chi. Alan had uh, been a black belt in Jiu Jitsu in the early 70s. And he'd also uh, 
gotten fairly high up in Aikido before he met his Chinese instructor and he'd stopped doing the other arts just to focus on Tai Chi. And uh, I liked what I saw. I was with him for 10 years before switching again and trying different approaches. Yeah, you're, the list of people that you've either had as teachers or trained with in seminars and everything is, is quite long and extensive and it's kind of a who's who of uh, Tai Chi in the 80s. It, yeah, it, it sort of the, the workshop years, as I call them, were sort of mostly the 1990s. And I think in Canada, at least, Tai Chi and Chinese martial arts were at their height. Um, in the mid-90s, there was actually a local uh, association of Chinese martial arts instructors. And mm -hmm. there were about 25 different instructors, 25 different schools just in the national capital area. I mean, that's a phenomenal number of, of commercial <laughs> or public schools, um, yeah. I, half of them were Wing Chun variations. Um, but, you know, there was a fair representation of Tai Chi instructors and uh, there was um, Tiger Crane School and uh, a couple of others. It was a Choi Li Foot School briefly. So, you know, mm -hmm. it, it was a boom time for Chinese martial arts in, in Canada in the 90s. So, you know, it was good. You could, you could meet lots of people and exchange ideas and try and figure out how you could train together without killing each other or <laughs> yeah. getting too embarrassed if all your wonderful martial arts fell apart at the first meeting. Who, who stood out for you from that era of, of the workshops and everything else? Well, of the ones I met, I mean, the, they were all impressive in their own way. Um, some of them were very famous, others weren't. Tim Cartmel stands out the most. He was one of the last ones that I met and actually hosted him to do a workshop yeah. in Ottawa. And uh, he was as impressive as people often make him out to be. And a nice man. Um, you know, easy to talk to. Obviously an experienced instructor. And uh, he really, he changed many of my ideas on Sun style Tai Chi, which you know, which I practice as a sideline to the Yang style. Uh, yeah. He would definitely have been somebody I would have wanted to train with if I could have got him regularly in person. Yeah. Sam Masich, too, who is reasonably well-known in Europe now because he's based out of Germany, is, is a, an excellent uh, teacher uh, in the sense that uh, he's got a really good eye for for what you're doing and he can help you correct little issues that you may not even be aware of. Uh, and again, if, you know, if I was starting over and I, uh, I wanted, I could get sort of regular instruction with him, he'd be a good man for the Yang style. And uh, Earl Montague, of course, he's famous and infamous in equal proportions. Uh, hmm. I was part of his uh, association for almost a decade and, I was his representative, senior representative in Canada for a few years. Quite a fellow, quite a fellow. Like you, he liked guitars and an interesting fellow to know. Yeah, I never, I never met him, um, but he, he moved back to Wales just towards the end of his life, didn't he? Um, yeah, but I don't know, our paths never crossed. 
um, for whatever reason. I was going to say he had he had quite a unique view on well I don't know if it was view or approach and a, a unique approach to Tai Chi, didn't he? It was um, much more striking and um, you know point striking and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That, that nobody else was really doing that. Um, but I heard a lot of people say good things about him. So I I. I was around him at workshops many times in the time that I associated with him. And I saw lots of people come to the workshops because, you know, they thought he was a fraud and they wanted some proof that he wasn't. He wasn't a very big man, but I never saw anyone uh, who was there for those reasons uh, actually challenge him mm -hmm. and once they saw him move. And uh, he became friends with some of the people that, especially in the States, people would come to the American workshops looking for, well, not looking for trouble, but, you know, wanting some proof that he really had some physical skills. And I never saw anyone actually challenge him physically once they'd seen him move and in action. Hmm. We parted company partly because of the way he was marketing himself increasingly uh, in his latter years. And I was less and less interested in things like dim Mac and point striking and mm -hmm. more and more interested in just exploring the more commonplace aspects of Tai Chi as a martial art. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm the same. I'm the same as you. I, th those, those point striking things, I think they were really big in the nineties or whatever, but, they don't hold any interest for me. I don't. I don't understand how you'd sustain a like a career being d just doing that all the time. It's um. Well, you and I are in a minority because when you see the numbers <laughs> of the people that go went in those days to workshops by people like George Dillman and and Earl, you know, it wasn't unusual to have seventy people turn out for a workshop. If but if those, if I'm brutal. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of money to be made from the interest yeah. a lot of people seem to have in point striking. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure as a oh, I'll just go and check this out type of thing. It, it, I'm sure it did generate you know a lot of interest, but I just don't. I don't see how it sustains the interest over over the years. Like you say, it's the more commonplace aspects of Tai Chi for me that have kept me coming back to it. Um, it's it's not the the, the Oh wow, mystical, flashbang, amazing stuff! It's the oh, this actually makes you feel good um, if you just practice it. Aspects that I I've really enjoyed. Yeah. yeah, I I think well, I don't know about Chen. You do Chen style, right? No, no, no. I do a, a Yang style variation that has some input from Sun Lu Tang. Ah, which is. Yeah, I think in America it's called coup style. In in Britain it was popularized by uh, Master Lam Cam Chuen, so it's sometimes called sometimes called Lam style. Oh, um, but it's, I, a, like it's, it's Yang. I like what I've yeah. seen. I like what I've seen his uh, Qigong videos. He had a very good yeah. Qigong uh, program uh, available yeah. on YouTube, and uh, I liked what yeah, I saw. The, um, yeah, but one so of my former. Like 
one of my former senior students lives in San Francisco now for many years. And he's, I believe, Lamb is in San Francisco now. Because sure, Sean has been be, studying yeah. with him in parks off and on for the last couple of years. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. 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 He was the teacher of my teacher for um, about 10 years in London. Mm. Um, and then they went sort of went separate ways. Very similar to your story that um, my teacher was a jiu-jitsu black belt and had done a bit of other things, did a bit, a little bit of Wing Chun and everything, and then met Master Lam and uh, just switched to whatever he was teaching, yeah. which at the time was, was like a, a bit of Northern Shaolin, Chori Fut and Tai Chi. And then over time it became more and more about the Tai Chi and then it became more and more about the Qi Kung, yeah. Um, yeah. which is where he's kind of progressed to today. Well, I, I, it may be a natural progression in the sense that as, as we get older, uh, push hands and fighting is not quite as attractive as it was when yeah. you were younger, uh, or it's not attractive at all. And you're, you know, you move more and more towards the, uh, the relaxation and the fun and uh, the health benefits. The thing that I always found fascinating about the Yang style Tai Chi was partly because I taught and, you know, probably saw more people come through than the average Tai Chi practitioner would meet, you know, in, a, in the course mm. of events. Uh, you might know 10 people who do Tai Chi. I've seen hundreds. And, you know, for, for every 100 people that want to learn slow form or Qigong, there's 10 people that want to do push hands. And of those mm -hmm. 10, there's maybe two that actually want to do sp sparring applications or learn something yeah. about the, uh, the uglier side. <laughs> of it so it's a funny world i had that problem with tai chi which is one of the reasons i drifted off towards jiu-jitsu because you just can't find anyone to fight with <laughs> 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 whereas you go to jiu-jitsu class and there's 30 guys who want to do nothing but fight you and it's like ah oh, this is so much easier yeah you know i again maybe if i'm a bit harsh maybe that's part of the problem with yang tai chi is there are so few people that are interested in the real martial aspect of it that you, you tend to uh, go off in a little haze of not realizing just how hard it is to do any kind of fighting, whether it's self-defense mm. or something as strenuous as, as Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I mean, yeah. the average person isn't interested. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Why would they be as well, you know? Exactly. They don't, they don't understand how much fun it is when someone's squashing your face on the, on the floor. <laughs> yeah. It's very hard to sell it when you, you kind of describe what it actually is. Yeah. 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 And so yeah. like, like most modern instructors that are trying to teach commercially, I used to split. So, there were, there were form classes, and then if you wanted mm. to, you could pay a little extra, and you could join, you know, the push hands and the marshals side of it. And there was never the interest in that that there was in, you know, the other stuff. Yeah. that For me, that's the problem with Tai Chi, is finding a group of people that want to do it in the way that you want to do it. And then occasionally if you, find, if you find that one guy who could be your training partner and then they they move away or they get injured or you know something and then it's back to square one again you know 
And that that's the other one of the major issues for developing real skill. And if you're just in a Tai Chi world, if you're lucky, you'll find one or two people who want to train semi-seriously or seriously. Um, and that sort of one-to-one is really good for a while. Mm. But mm. then they also need to be able to work with other people, other body types, somebody taller, somebody shorter, somebody heavier, somebody lighter. And, you know, if, if it's just one-to-one instruction, after a while, neither of you are benefiting as much because there's just not enough variety of, mm. of, of abilities and physiques. I used to tell, I had a lot of people that wanted private instruction when I was teaching mm-hmm. openly. And I used to, I lost people that way because I would tell them after a while, you know, if you really want to develop some skill, you need to be practicing with other people, not just me. And a lot of, for whatever reason, a lot of people that want preferred private classes didn't want to train with anybody else. You know, mm. strangers. So yeah. In a way, they're limiting their own ability to, to make progress. And the other thing that I found was a lot of people are reluctant to go and do workshops, uh, even if it's only one time with another instructor. You know, they, mm. they cross-train is the wrong word. But, you know, they're reluctant to get the experience of somebody else saying, either the same thing in a different way or saying something completely different from what I was telling them. And that limits mm. you too. If you, if you never make any effort to experience other versions of, of what you're getting, it's hard to make progress. It's not impossible, but it's hard. Variety is the spice of life, as they say. And some variety is good. Yeah. I've always enjoyed um, meeting new people in Tai Chi and uh, and pushing hands with them, you know, and all that kind of that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, occasionally it's been frustrating because I think push hands is a really bad medium for exchanging with another person because you know you're very dependent on what they want to do. Like yeah. if they if they only want to practice in one particular way, you can't make them practice in a different way. Yeah. Uh, so you just kind of have to go with what you're given when you when you push hands. Uh, one guy in particular who was like a, a name teacher, uh, whose name I won't mention, but we're doing push hands and I seemed to be able to just put my hand on him without without much, there was no, nothing much he could do to stop me. But then every time I did it, he go, oh, very dangerous, very dangerous. And I, and I went, well, why? <laughs> what, what, what's, no, no, very dangerous, very dangerous. I was like, well, what's going to happen? Like, and then he, in the end, he just, I don't know. He's like, he talked me into how he would beat me if I did that. Instead of actually, and I was like, well, do it then. Go on. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> but uh, you get that sort of weird, um, that weird mentality you get in Tai Chi where people often want to talk you through something instead of actually doing it. You know, I I much prefer the um, if you, if you're gonna throw me on the ground, just throw me on the ground. It's fine. You know, I'm not I'm not gonna freak out. It's fine. Off you go. <laughs> Have a go. <laughs> it's one of the things that had impressed me about Earl Montague when I first met him back in 1989, 1990. 
I was doing, he was staying at our house uh, and I invited my former instructor over and a couple of people. And, you know, we had an informal session in my basement, my training room. And uh, my former instructor, Alan Wise, I knew he could punch. He punched me many times. Uh, mm. And Earl asked him, said, well, you know, we, we do different styles of Yang style. So uh, if you want to see what my approach to defense is, just give me a good shot in the torso. And then I'll show you one of the primary defensive moves. So Alan looked at him and, you sure? And Earl said, oh, yeah, go ahead. And I guess Alan, like me, was expecting that Earl would do some kind of defensive thing. And he just stood there and Alan hauled off and hit him a good one. And mm. Earl didn't do anything. He just sort of stood there and took it and smiled at Alan and said, that's the first line of defense. <laughs> <laughs> just done her take it as well. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know he had a good point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. if you're never used, to, if you've to never gotten yeah. hit, it's very hard to learn how to. It's like throwing. If you've never been thrown, it's a horrible shock. <laughs> the first yeah. time some someone does it to you with any kind of skill or vigor. Same thing with yeah. being punched. If you've never been been really hit, it's a heck of a surprise. I bet you've got some good stories from um, all those years of teaching people coming to your coming to your school. I think you put some on your blog once. Yeah, yeah. I was my the location I was in the longest was on the second floor of an old building in not a great part of Ottawa, as so many martial arts schools tend to be in yeah. the not best part of town. Yeah, and I was just about to start teaching a group of middle-aged and elderly people slow form and the door the door to my premises on the second floor flies open and sort of hits the wall and this huge guy looms in the doorway and says is this where i learn how to fight <laughs> and the old ladies and some of the people are looking at each other nervously and uh, i said no <laughs> I think the correct answer is no, that's next door. <laughs> well, actually, I sent him to a friend of mine who had a, a school not too far around the corner where he was teaching uh, Thai boxing and uh, Dan Inosanto's right. stuff. And uh, if the guy bothered to go there, he would have learned how to fight. Yeah. Yang Tai Chi in particular tends to attract from the two extremes of the martial spectrum. You, at one end, you have the people that want to learn uh, exclusively things like Dim Mac or uh, the secrets of how to project energy. And then at the other end, you have sort of aging hippies who want nothing to do with anything that smells of any kind of uh, aggression. And it's very hard to find people in the middle, you know. Train, they want to train with some intensity, but they're not either psychopaths or you know obsessed with things like uh, dim mac and or projecting energy it's amazing how the tai chi world is still full of people who think that you can somehow learn to harness your internal energy and project these invisible balls of it's the mind boggles i still don't understand why it's what's your take on the whole um chi thing 
you sent me a magazine interview you did, which was from many years ago. And yeah. they, that 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 kind of had your take on it, which was, um, you know, let's just keep things in the realm of common sense. But I just wondered what you what your uh, your take on the whole phenomena of chi is. I think it's become a good way for older teachers to make a lot of money. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, interest changes. In the 90s, Tai Chi and Chinese martial arts were good. And then the millennium came and everybody wanted to do mixed martial arts of one kind or another. Uh, maybe now because people are getting older, Qigong is very popular. And there's always sort of this, this side aspect to, to studying Qigong of, you know, at the back of your head, you think, well, maybe I can develop some kind of supernatural power if I really work at it. Some teachers are willing to exploit that. I never was. I always tried to discourage people from uh, trying to be uh, too spiritual <laughs> from something mm-hmm. like their Tai Chi practice. But uh, I'm in a minority. For every Mike Babin teaching, there's 10 people in, in Ottawa anyway teaching uh, how to build up your chi and use it for a variety of purposes. I was never interested in that, but I never made much money teaching either. <laughs> Those two things are probably connected, aren't they? <laughs> I would suspect. And, you know, in the, in the 90s, particularly in Tai Chi, you met a lot of teachers who were making a really good living by going around and doing workshops at their satellite clubs. And I mean, it's still going on to a certain extent, uh, but it was huge in the 90s. I mean, it's not just people like Earl Montague that were making a very good living by doing workshops in different cities. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. Yang Ching Ming, Liang Shaoyu, uh, William C.C. C. Chen, uh, to give him credit, he's in his 80s, I think, if not older, and he's still doing weekend workshops in a variety of cities. Uh, you know, it's. It's hard to give up teaching and training if you've been doing it all your life, but it's also a good way to earn a living. I guess I never to... liked travel. I mean, I did workshops in other cities, but I never, I never liked, you know, the hassle of traveling and leaving my family. And uh, for a few years, I made some decent money, but it wasn't worth it to me in the long run. Plus, it also means when if you're doing a lot of traveling. It means the people that should be your main focus, the ones that are in your hometown that, you know, are coming to your classes, you know, you're not there. I mean, Saturday is often a prime time for people who work to, to go to classes. And if teacher is never there on weekends, because he's off in, you know, two farts, Michigan, doing a workshop, in a way you're shortchanging the people that are paying you in your hometown. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I use that to rationalize not doing a lot of travel. <laughs> After doing Tai Chi for so many years, what would you say were really the, the chief benefits of Tai Chi? For me or for the average student? Both. Well, I think for any, any student who's interested in learning more about their body and movement, Tai Chi, Yang style Tai Chi, any style of Tai Chi is, is a good place to, to start or to, to keep 
an investigation of you know how your body works what makes it work less efficiently uh, the importance of posture you know mm -hmm. it's amazing how often i meet people who tell me that they'd been doing martial arts for a decade or that they were black belts and this and that and yet you know they they had terrible posture their shoulders were slumped uh, they didn't look like they had any kind of fitness even when they were much younger it is difficult to take expertise at face value when somebody looks like they're having trouble standing in one spot for any length of time <laughs> yeah <laughs> and as you've said i think one of the biggest things for long term uh, enjoyment of something like Tai Chi is the fun of it. Um, there is pleasure from even doing the martial training. I liked what Tim Cartmel said once, and it, you know, I know very little about jujitsu. I did a year of jujitsu back in 1973 or 74, and I didn't like being thrown. So <laughs> that. Mm. That year was the my total experience in jujitsu, uh, but uh, Tim Cartmel certainly knows his way around a mat, and I liked what he said that when he said that uh, a lot of people don't realize just how pleasurable it can be to be rolling around on mats, and that you'll miss it when you don't have it. And it's yeah. the same thing with push hands. If you're doing good styles of push hands, even the structured stuff. It's fun. I mean, the contact with another human being is, it's pleasurable. Um, the interaction is pleasurable. I'm not talking sexual, although some people take it that way too. But it's more like um, animals, you know, animals play fight, don't they? Um, you know, bears, you know, roll around together and tiger cubs will, you know, little scraps. And, uh, and then if you look at the ones that we're most similar to which is monkeys and apes they play fight all the time you know and they're always grooming each other i'm not sure i'd want to groom any <laughs> yeah. of my students but... <laughs> yeah maybe that's that's taking things too far but uh, the, there aren't many avenues of modern life where you get to um, interact with someone in a kind of a physical way um, unless you went to dance classes or something like that the, most people don't really touch other human beings yeah in their daily life, do they? No, no. And it's, uh, it seems to be something that people are genetically predisposed to want to do, to have physical contact. And in Western society, anyway, it's, it's not something that's easily done and within the constraints of, uh, of uh, you know, what's acceptable. <laughs> yeah. Talking to you now, you definitely talk about Tai Chi as if it is a two-person thing most tai chi instructors i talk to talk yeah. when they're just talking they're talking about tai chi as if it's a solo form all the time yeah, yeah, yeah. but you're you're very different you're 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 talking always in the sense of it being a, a martial art and a uh or, or or an interactive experience rather than a solitary you adventure you, you were asking for stories from my teaching past I had just started teaching a fellow who had learned Tai Chi at a more normal Tai Chi environment in Ottawa. Mm. And I guess 
he was intrigued by the idea of push hands and the martial studies. So he asked the fellow that he was studying with at the time, well, you know, you never talk about push hands or anything martial in this class. Is there anyone that I could meet that might teach me that? And apparently the instructor was mentioned my name and, you know, gave the student details on how to contact me. And I was a bit surprised by that. And I said to uh, the fellow who'd started studying with me, I said, I'm, you know, I'm surprised that this other instructor was willing to uh, share my name. And the student looked at me and he smiled and he said, well, when he mentioned your name, he did get the look on his face like someone had farted in church. Nice. <laughs> I guess it's a compliment of sorts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, you yeah. know, don't get me wrong. I mean, solo form is an essential aspect of, well, you know that. It's an essential aspect of studying the total package of most versions of Yang style. It gets, the martial stuff gets minimized for a variety of reasons. But the solo form is important. I mean, I do solo form every day. I don't always do the same one, but I do solo form every day. I don't enjoy it as much as I enjoy the interactive stuff, but you mm. know, I still do it. I don't like it as much, but I still do it. And I always started people with uh, solo form, uh, even if they said they wanted to study push hands or God forbid, some of the other stuff. Yeah. I always find, um, I don't always want to do my solo practice of Tai Chi, but after I've done it, I always feel better and glad I did it. So I, I try and I try and remind myself before I start what I will feel like after to try and motivate myself to start. I'm exactly the same way. I rarely enjoy the anticipation, but I'm almost always glad that I did it. Yeah. Afterwards. I don't know if you find the same thing, but I always find it's like a daily renewal to Tai Chi. It, it is. It's never where I left it. You know, I, I, I practice one day and oh, that was, that was pretty good. That was, everything's flowing nicely. Great. And then the next day you start off and it's all gone. <laughs> and you have to kind of rebuild it again every day. That's what I find. Well, I, I, that's one of the fascinating aspects of, of solo training is, you know, if you approach it with any skill and dedication, it is like a new experience almost every time you do it. And I know I, for myself, I'm rarely satisfied with what I've done on a particular day. Uh, and maybe that's what's kept me still training and still exploring and occasionally still learning new forms is, mm. you know, I'm, I'm rarely satisfied with my own performance. Uh, and while I'm saying that, you know, as I get older, you know, the, some of the physical stuff gets harder and harder to do or even impossible. And I think that's one of the reasons so many older Tai Chi instructors start dabbling with uh, Qigong or with the energy stuff. It's they're experienced enough to be able to show their students things that seem important or seem mm. somewhat magical, even though they physically they can't do a lot of the, the training that they used to do you know, the physical stuff, but they can still get better and better at doing the refined subtleties that, you know, I, I, when I'm working with my students, I, I talk about it being the Tai Chi magic show, 
you know, yeah. you see people yeah. and because their body mechanics are so good and the people they're working with are, are relatively stiff or, you know, just inexperienced, um, mm. you know, they, you can do stuff to them that. Or easy, easily led. <laughs> well, easily led, you know, if you've never experienced connectivity of somebody's body and, mm. you know, a, an efficient use of force, relaxed force, it is surprising if you're if you're not used to it. It can be surprising. It's not as it's not as useful as some teachers imply or say. But you know, it's easier to work on those things as you get older and older, rather than, well, here, punch me two hundred times in a row, and I'll see if I can improve my ability yeah. to deflect and dodge. Uh, plus, yeah. you know, plus your interest in being thrown or being punched tends to decrease. The older you get, the less interested you are in for the oh, yeah. average person. I'm like you, I, I've, I've never enjoyed being thrown. It's, it's just not one of those things that my body particularly is good at. Like I've always got motion sickness. So being thrown is just like motion sickness, but way worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, but luckily in jujitsu, we, we mainly just roll around on the floor. so you're already on the floor nobody can throw you if you're already on the floor whereas in tai chi you can be thrown anytime <laughs> because you're standing up <laughs> so, uh, so I, it, which reminds me of uh, since you do seriously do uh, rolling type jujitsu do you find that you get the same kind of attitudes in in a class where people that are doing more or less exclusively the groundwork and the rolling do they tend to uh, think that they're just as good as the mixed martial artists that are capable at all ranges of work? Is, is it like people associate skill in push hands with, you know, somehow it'll be a magical ability to defend themselves because they're good at push hands. Whereas no. it, no. I don't think so. I think to think that because you can do stuff on the ground, you're then a great fighter. You'd have to be pretty deluded. Um, but I mean, in our jiu-jitsu class, we do do, we do do stand-up stuff too. We do basic self-defense stuff all the time, like you know, um, somebody throws a roundhouse punch, step in, hip throw, shoulder throw, um, you know, takedowns from someone grabbing you from behind, and we do all the basic self-defense things. But again, that's not that's not like sport fighting. I think basically in jiu-jitsu, people understand that it's a sport when you're competing. And it's not a fight, it's a sport. And they, they get the distinction between um, nobody's really trying to kill you. Um, I mean, people, you know, in a competition, if you don't tap, people could break your arm. It's up to you to tap in time. But nobody's going to be punching you. There's no, there's no punching and kicking involved. So I think, I think everyone knows what's what. I mean, most, most of the people that are more interested in MMA do jiu-jitsu as part of a overall range of things they do like they also do muay thai they also do mma they also do a bit of wrestling um and those people are they're very they're very clued up on what's what i mean well that's good i mean you don't get that often in yang style beginners they often have a very unrealistic approach to what push hands is and how it relates to self-defense much less sport there's a reality to jiu-jitsu that you can experience from your first class, like the, the physical reality of somebody holding you down and you can't get them off you. 
you know, it, you very quickly get this sense of reality, and it it, it just hits you. Yeah. You, you can't you can't do jujitsu and not be aware of the reality of certain things. Yeah, so I don't think you get. Whereas in Tai Chi, you could go for years thinking you're fantastic. I'm pretty sure, <laughs> and nobody's nobody's going to be a challenge to you because it's the wrong environment. Yeah, yeah for that for that to occur, um, that's the danger with, with Tai Chi things. Have you have you ever tried Chen style? By the way, um, a tiny bit. Uh, I did what was supposed to be Chen style for a year in 1974, 75. Mm. But I was also, I was learning from the same instructor who was teaching me Choi Li Foot. And he said he was also good at Chen style. Mm. And he was a young guy. He, he probably wasn't more than about 25 or 26. And I was 20, 21. Mm. So with hindsight, when I look back at, you know, my memories of what I learned, I suspect I wasn't really learning high level Chen style. No. <laughs> if it was Chen style at all. Uh, and, you know, back certainly in the 70s, it, when you learn Chinese, when you learn Tai Chi at a community center level or at a Chinese community center, it was form work, you know, you You'd learn mm. one form after another. Maybe you'd do some calisthenics. Maybe you'd do some bad sparring. But it most of it was, you know, what form are you working on? And it's the curse of some of the Chinese martial arts. It, endless bloody forms. They can be fun to do. And you certainly you can get stronger and fitter. But, yeah. you know, if I, had, if I had a dollar for every time I met a Tai Chi teacher in... The 70s and the 80s who had a business card with maybe 10 or 12 different styles on the business card and you know he taught all of them and he'd be teaching yang style tai chi and choi li foot and you know a variety of hard styles and come on you're 30 years old <laughs> you might know <laughs> a few you might know a few forms from each of these and you might be fit but you're not you're not qualified to teach 12 different styles. That's one of the things I did like about Yang style was there wasn't the same obsession with endless forms that I had yeah. experienced in other Chinese styles. So, you know, there were, depending on the Yang stylist, there was one long form. Then maybe you'd learn the two-person set as a solo form as well. And then weapons forms. And that was it. You know, you could mm. actually, there was actually some time left over for push hands or, or the other things. Yeah, it's a good point, that. I just wondered about how you, uh, how you find Sun style compared to Yang style. Well, very different. Uh, I like Sun style because of the emphasis on mobility. Mm -hmm. And again, depending on who teaches it to you, the, the emphasis on getting the dimension of rising and falling in a subtle way uh, as opposed to sort of bobbing up and down and using your knees too much. Mm -hmm. uh, I find it, I found in Yang style, it was very hard to get that third dimension of using your spine to extend and contract, you know, in time with everything else you were doing. Mm -hmm. And aside from the footwork mobility in Sun style, there is a real emphasis on, or it can be on, using your spine properly in the sense of uh, expansion and contraction. That's interesting. Um, 
I don't have a lineage in uh, sun style of any kind. I picked it up the hard way, you know, from from colleagues, local colleagues, uh, and a couple of workshops with different instructors, including Tim Cartmel. So, you know, I'm doing Babin style sun style, yeah, yeah. but uh, you know, I've been doing it for about 20 years, and I've taught taught the forms that I know to you know a handful of people. So, uh, but it. it I would recommend that anyone who's really serious about the Yang style learns something like Sun style. It doesn't have to be Sun mm. style, but the emphasis on mobility, I think is really important to anyone who's a serious martial artist. Uh, Yang style has mobility, but for a long time, it's a very static mobility. Um, and often when you meet practitioners or teachers of Yang style, they they really think that rooting and being, you know, stuck to one spot in the earth is the be all and end all of push hands and self-defense. And, and, and it's not. No. Movement by itself isn't the be all and end all either. But I think anyone mm. should be able to do both. And usually they can do one or the other. Yeah. I mean, people normally get that kind of that mo- mobile footwork out of Shingi um, yeah. as well, if they if they haven't got it. Yeah, and our, our Yang style had some input from Sun Tang actually. So it's it's got more mobile footwork and and not as long stances as mm. um, the 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 Yang Cheng Fu lineage stuff. But it doesn't have the same footwork as Sun style at all. It doesn't have that follow up step. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe a couple of times it'll happen in the form, but it's not in in Sun style. It's repeated, isn't it? It's it, it, it's trying to drill that into you. It's a kind of which is much more like Shingi. Every every step in Shingi is step 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 step. It's it's never to sort of step, drag your foot up or anything. There's, it's always sort of like didum didum didum. You know that sort of beat. Real footwork. <laughs> Tim, Tim Cartmel used to say that doesn't matter what martial art you study. Real footwork is real footwork, and you get it in boxing, you get it in fencing, you get it in Shingi, you get it in anything where the footwork is realistic and and works reasonably well against somebody skillful who really wants to have a go. Yeah, I find especially weapons sparring things, that the idea that you can stand still and just deflect swords and not move, is that, that's where, for me, that's where the fantasy of that will very quickly evaporate. Um, when, when a sharp bit of steel is going towards you, 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 you just move your feet, you have to. <laughs> that's right. Even a crappy wooden sword with splinters sticking out of it, you don't want to be standing there. No, no holding your no, ground no, if somebody's actually trying to get you. Yeah, I know those wooden swords on your fingers really hurt. So yeah, that motivates you to move quite quickly. That's one thing that I've noticed. You know, as since I'm getting really too old to be doing this in some ways, uh, when I'm when we're doing free play with uh, wooden and foam weapons. If it's sticky, I can hold my own with people 20, 30 years younger than mm. me or even, you know, do well. But uh, when you take away having to stick and, mm. you know, you can, you can disconnect or connect at will, you know, I just, I don't have the same kind of fast twitch responses that I did when I was younger. So in a way, it's good for your humility because it makes you realize, oh, yeah, so <laughs> you have some skill, but age matters. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I always I always found sword sparring quite humbling because I was never as good as I thought I was ever. <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> and and also it was a sort of thing where people who are bad at it can actually, when it comes to actually sparring with the weapon, can be quite good. You know, they can't do a form to save their life, but they can actually, you know, if you just carelessly go towards them, they're going to get you. <laughs> and that's, that's very humbling. Yeah, yeah. It's, I guess that's why, you know, you sometimes hear experts saying that once you've developed skill, if you want to know how good you really are, you should uh, try the same thing against a beginner who's actually willing to make an effort. Yeah. Absolutely. Because every everything is no longer it's no longer structured, and that's the problem with structure. Yeah. You know? it's you have to understand both. Yeah, well, to me, in Tai Chi, speaking just for Tai Chi, if you really want to go the distance, you have to understand the value of structure and how it relates to complete non-structure and chaos. Because that's what it may be controlled chaos, but you know, in any kind of struggle whether it's a real sword or a plastic sword, it's, uh, it's trained chaos as opposed to well, the same thing you've done with a partner in a two-person set for 10 years. And you're really good at look, looking like you move very quickly in the two-person set with the same partner. But, you know, mm. get somebody swinging a sword at you with some spontaneity and your structured skills are no longer quite as important as they seem to be. Yeah, it's the same in um, jiu-jitsu as well. When you when you get a day one beginner, you have to be careful because they're, they're going to do something that is unexpected um, because they're not they don't know the rules the the so the so-called rules or the or they haven't figured out like why you'd never do that thing that doesn't work because to them it might work you know and uh, I so you're not expecting it. <laughs> Yeah, you can you can get a nasty surprise from a beginner when even when you're a black belt. Yeah, yeah. I haven't had hundreds of injuries over the years, but I've had a lot of bruises and the occasional cracked rib and black eyes. You know the usual nonsense. Mm. I would say most of them have been from working with relative beginners or beginners, just because I'm not going to hit them if they screw up, and you know if they screw up their timing or just how much effort they're putting in or if they're just lucky, you know, that's the yeah. price you pay for teaching beginners. <laughs> yeah. So how would you say, um, Tai Chi is today then like compared to, I mean, you've, you've been there for its, it's kind of growth and evolution in the, the West, should we say, yeah. um, what sort of state is it in today and where do you think it's going? Well, it's certainly, it, it's becoming popular again, uh, you know, at, at a mass level. Uh, lots of people, you see lots of people doing form in parks. There are better instructors than there used to be, partly because there's more Chinese immigration than there, there ever was, at least in Canada. So there mm -hmm. are more people that have been trained at the sports colleges or that, you know, had some kind of contact with a traditional teacher. So I think there's, there's better technical Tai Chi available more than there used to be. Uh, Marshalling, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, uh, I'm getting to the point where I don't hang around with a lot of martial artists and Tai Chi teachers anymore in, locally. So I'm not sure. I suspect that there's less and less emphasis on Tai Chi as a martial art, 
more and more on the sort of the solo work and Qigong. And, you know, that's fine. That's what most people want. Why shouldn't they have it? Mm, great. Well, we've been, uh, been chatting away for about an hour now, so we should probably round this one up. Well, thank you for inviting me. I've enjoyed meeting you and talking to you. Yeah, me too. It's been it's been really good to finally have a chat um, face to face. Yeah. Um, if people want to find out more, um, you wrote several books over the years, but I don't know if any of them are still in print, are they? No, none of them are. The, the publisher uh, failed a few years ago, Pal- the infamous Paladin Press. Mm. Uh, so all three are out of print. Um, but you've got a website now, haven't you? I have a website, and I just recently started a, a YouTube channel. I'll, uh, I'll send you the link to that. There's not much on it yet, but uh, I'm surprised at how much I have enjoyed trying to put some stuff online. Um, and I'll be putting more, you know, semi-regularly. Uh, it's not the best medium for teaching, but a lot of other people are doing it, and uh, Somewhere, somebody must be getting something out of watching endless clips of Tai Chi and solo form. So I'm going to give it a try. Excellent. Well, I'll put the link in the show notes to this for your YouTube channel and your your, um, website, which uh, I think you've still got your blog running. No, I shut the the blog down. Uh, Oh, did you? Oh, that was good. Yeah, it was good, but I was, maybe it's my age, I was finding I was starting to repeat myself a bit in the various, <laughs> I had a blog for 25 years, so it'd be hard not to repeat myself <laughs> at least occasionally. Yeah. I'm pretty sure my blog is just me repeating myself over and over, really. <laughs> no, 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 don't be so hard on yourself. Uh, I like your blog. It's one of the few that I read <laughs> regularly, and I'm not just saying that because we're talking here. It is a good blog. Uh, a oh, lot thanks. of the stuff is uh, thought-provoking or you're saying old things in a new way. Keep it up because there aren't many blogs anymore. It's like uh, magazines. I used to write for the martial arts magazines back in the 80s and the 90s, and there were 15 different mm. print publications that I used to appear in. They're all gone, and uh, it's sort of sad. And same thing with discussion forums and blogs seem to be not as popular as they used to be. And there are fewer good ones. So keep it up. <laughs> I'll try. I find I, I quite often find that I, I've got nothing to say for like a couple of weeks. And then something will just spark in me. Yeah. And I've got like five things I, I need to write about very quickly. And I put it all out in a few days. And then I've got nothing else for another two weeks. <laughs> I don't know why it does that, but um, yeah, I, I've never tried to pursue it as a, it's not a career, it's just a personal blog, so I don't have the discipline to actually make myself write something every three days, because it doesn't make any money, and it's just for fun, so, um, you know, if it was a business, I'm sure I'd, I'd have a schedule where I wrote things every day and everything, but um, but no, it's it's just my ramblings, that when, when they come to me, they get expressed, and that's it. <laughs> well, keep sharing them. Because 90% of the ones I've read are thought-provoking. Well, I try, I try and, um, I try and uh, be, yeah, thought-provoking. I'm always a little bit confrontational, and I don't mean to be. <laughs> yeah. 
but there's but there's so much wrong with the world <laughs> yeah yes and we're not going to solve that uh... no the the things that need to be fixed are not done by people who read my blog so it's all pointless <laughs> but it just makes me feel better if i get it all out yeah it's 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 too bad that more uh, politicians aren't interested in things like uh, jujitsu and tai chi they might be nicer people and more concerned about uh, the real issues. I don't think that worked for Putin though. He's um he's into judo, uh, but I don't get I don't get the impression he's really doing judo. I think he when he turns up, I think everyone just throws themselves on the ground. Otherwise, they're going to be executed. You know, <laughs> it's that sort of. It's know. like being Steven Seagal's paid training partner. <laughs> paid paid crash test dummy. Yes, basically. Oh, I saw. I saw. Actually, I saw a Seagal. There was a Seagal um, video out a couple of days ago by the Jesse, the guy who's the karate nerd. Yeah, um, that's a good video. It was, actually, it was actually yes, it was actually okay. I thought this is just going to be terrible. And um, and Seagal, you know, he he's got some moves. I know it yeah. was quite interesting. His his thoughts on being non telegraphic. Yeah, were were very interesting. However, he he just doesn't move anywhere. That's the he's a he's a very big guy. Yeah. So he doesn't, unless he's going to meet a large force coming in towards him, he's not going to need to move. Yeah. But he equally, and he didn't seem to be able to stand up for very long. With Every time they had to have a chat, he had to go and sit down. Yeah. Um, but he's getting on like everyone. So He's my age. When you see him described as 60 plus, he's 70. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, he still moves well for a 70 year old in short bursts. Yeah, in short bursts. I mean, and in a structured, friendly kid, environment. Yeah. Although the fellow who was interviewing him seems like a decent martial artist and a you know a rational human mm. being, and he seemed to like some of what he experienced. I think he's a very polite person, and he he obviously wants the interview because Seagal's a big star, and he's not gonna he's not gonna make it, do anything that makes him uncomfortable and yeah. annoys him so that he cancel the interview that's that's you know that's not his job is it yeah but it's funny i don't know i i, I very quickly had to watch one of those people those videos where people review his movies <laughs> and remind and remind you just how bad they are i had to watch that straight afterwards just to get back to normality because i was starting to fall into the into the trap of thinking Steve, hey steven cigar's quite reasonable after all <laughs> yes no 70 year old should be making action movies <laughs> <laughs> I don't care how famous they are, but they, they unfortunately his movies often fall into the so bad they're good trap, don't they? Yeah, <laughs> it's like you're enjoying it because it's funny because he's he's just too old to be doing this. <laughs> anyway, um, pleasure talking to you, Michael. Yes, thank you for uh, inviting me. I enjoyed it. I shall uh, I shall look forward to uh, seeing what you have on your YouTube channel next. Thank you. All right, bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us. You can find out more about the Tai Chi Notebook podcast at www.thetaichinotebook.com You can support us by giving our podcast a positive review on iTunes and our page a like on Facebook. Just search for The Taichi Notebook to find us. 
Until next time, enjoy your training.